Hey everyone, Seamus from the future here. I'm excited to say that a few hours after we recorded this episode, we learned that Joseph Kitchen, the president of the Young Democrats of Maryland, was found dead in his home due to what we have heard were complications due to COVID-19. We've decided that this episode will be dedicated to Joseph's memory. In the meantime, check in on your friends, your family, and all those you care about. And even when things are at their worst, don't forget to tell them that you love them. Life's too short. Now on with the show. Welcome to Campbell and Cohen's Cookie Quarantine. I'm James Campbell. I'm Ben Cohen. And we are joined today with a cavalcade of National Committee members. We got uh, Young Democrats Wisconsin Chair Charles Myers, Ian Dunn, National Committee, if I screw up the title, screw me, uh, correct me, Ian Dunn, National Committee Man from Florida, Scott Urbanowski. Actually, actually not committee man, but Secretary of the Florida Young Democrats. Yeah. Also important. Scott, yeah. Scott Urbanowski has no real position, but like had a proxy. Yeah, because he's vice chair. Yeah. Um, Zach Sartag, who uh, secretary for the Jewish Caucus and deputy secretary of YDA. Yeah. TJ DeLuca, president of the Pennsylvania Young Dems, and Matt Hughes, uh, Southeast Region Director. And so a week ago today, we were in an almost eight hour YDA meeting. And it's a good thing. Nine hours, Seamus. What? But it was eight hours and 50 minutes. You're right, eight hours, 50 minutes. Admittedly, you know, I left for like the last hour to go have dinner with my parents and made Zach tag in for me, so. Yeah, and so this is now our sort of de facto support group, not to be confused with the Rodrigo's Microphone Appreciation Club. So I'm sure we'll find time to discuss that uh, this morning. Yes. Well, actually afternoon, because we're going by Eastern time. Good, sir. I am in the civilized time zone, and it is still the morning here. Except that we have the capital and also the financial capital, so. Yes, we know. We let you have those things out of pity. You have a complex. No, it's because we were here first. Mm -hmm. We called dibs. Historically, I think we were all sort of here at the same time. Y'all just got colonized first. This part of the country held out longer because they ain't punks in the Midwest. Booyah. No, it's because y'all were still under French control. Also, Seamus, thank you for the snowbirds coming down to Florida. Just saying. Yeah. So where should we begin with this meeting? Each other, and it's funny for me. Um, I think I think we should probably begin by something that happened ap- with something that happened after the meeting, um, which is the fact that the uh, president of the Young Democrats of Maryland, uh, Joseph Kitchen, is uh, currently missing. And uh, if you have any information about where he might be, uh, please. Uh, Please contact the, uh, I think it's the Prince George's County Police. Yes. Yeah. We'll include phone numbers on hand. I know several of his friends and family have put out some numbers to contact. Yeah. 
We'll, call, we'll include a link to all to the information about where to contact if you have any information in the show notes. But so we're recording this on August 16th. Uh, last time that anyone's heard from Joseph apparently was Monday, uh, Tuesday. Since Tuesday, he's been he's been missing, and so his family has been uh, is traveled from California to come try to see if they can, what they can do. Police are currently investigating. Of course, if anyone has any information, you know, please contact the uh, proper authorities. We all pray that he is, of course, safe return. Now, with us being actually serious, um, hopefully out of the way, let's go and be frivolous like we normally are because that's all we're really good at. So, entire day essentially meeting online um i have my own general theory as to why we were able to be that absurdly self-indulgent and not because there were at least a handful of people that host their own podcasts on the meeting um my general take on it is normally we do these in person and we have the time constraints of people have flights to catch and we only have a room rented for so long nobody is getting a flight from their living room on zoom to i don't know their bathroom and if they are i have questions other than that i mean what are people's takeaways just to start with for why i mean you don't know there there, there could have been a flight of beer you know waiting for them in the bathroom you know you just never know what's going on <laughs> i mean if they had a flight of beer waiting for them I, you know, I think, Matt, you got on before we discussed the lack of judgment for what we do in the National Committee, but I think everyone really would have just clapped. I mean. Yeah. Um. However, like, there were, like, questions also about should we take bathroom breaks and stuff like that, and... To give, well, so one person did actually ask at one point, uh, point of personal privilege is, and asked uh, President Joshua Harris still and Secretary Rebecca Pinn, are y'all okay? Like, do you, do y'all need a break? Which, very classy move, I thought. But, for me. I, 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 I think so. And, and I think that, you know, when you're doing a virtual meeting, uh, you know, you, you have to anticipate um, some of these things. And I will say that for the most part, this YDA meeting and my own state party's uh, virtual convention are the only times I've had a virtual meeting that has actually run about as long um, as they do in person. So many of the other meetings I've had have, including in, as an elected official, have actually ended earlier. And I think it's because of the exhaustion. But I think that when you have organizations that sometimes have uh, dysfunctional components, and that can be people or it can be programming, that people are ready for that dysfunction. And so they're, they're, they're not switching to let me get off my camera as soon as I can. You know, it's, it's like you're just ready for it because, again, you don't have a flight to catch. You have nowhere else to be. Um, you might need a bathroom break, which you can easily turn off your camera and walk away like you would in, in person. Um, so, you know, I, I think people just came prepared for a long meeting because that's what they're used to. 
Yeah, I mean, I was definitely prepared for a long meeting. I very naively thought that it might go as late as four o'clock central time. Um, and then it was like eight o'clock central time. <laughs> when I, it, I, I was supposed to have Zoom drinks with someone at around, I think, seven o'clock Eastern. Because I thought it ended around five, you know, I'd have some time for dinner, all that. And I text this person, I'm like, yeah, we have to reschedule. This thing is going on forever. And it made for an interesting story explaining what exactly happened. So so, so I actually left um, and transferred. I gave my proxy to, to um, Hannah. And um, I left because I had a virtual fundraiser for a judge, a uh, statewide judicial candidate, and then I also needed to meet with a constituent. So so Eastern time, how, how much? I mean, that was probably honestly around... Five o'clock. Four, four, uh, maybe three thirty or so. That I finally so so it went on for another ninety minutes after that. Interesting. Okay. I think I think it was definitely different on Sunday because we went very long on Sunday. But all of the meetings that I went to on Saturday went really fast. Like Matt was saying, a lot of meetings have gone faster uh, while we're all on Zoom. But definitely, all the meetings I had on Saturday went really fast which was nice yeah my regional my regional meeting went probably about the same length it would have gone in person which is fine but we also usually only carve out about you know anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half for most of those saturday sessions anyway uh, so i don't i didn't really feel a difference with that and, and like and, and and like in person i don't go to everything so i would dip out to get a lunch or go see some friends or you know, have a cocktail with someone and come back, you know, for a later session or whatnot. So, you know, I, I felt no difference with that. I think no, the, I, Zoom, the Zoom chat added a very interesting component on Sunday that you don't have in the in-person because normally those are things you whisper to the people near you and not all hundred plus people can see it. Definitely or, or you know, or, or, or that group chat that you have going or that, uh, or that, uh, you know, the, the, the text group, um, that you might have, you know, now everyone sees it. So yeah, that, that was a bit different. It also did allow for like some degree of like the side arguments, uh, like things that you are thinking to yourself, you had to actually verbalize without actually interrupting the meeting. Uh, so we are now gonna be joined by Hannah Robleski, so we'll get her up to be in a second. But so like we had situations where like, for instance, someone was saying, you know, you can just check Robert's rules and someone else says, well, saying that everyone has a copy of Robert's rules is elitist or uh, is privileged, I should say. And of course, other people were saying, here's the link to find it online. And it gets to, so it got to very much like the arguments where you would want to say, but you got to finally say them, which of course got to areas where also it did get, they did actually, it got very heated. So at one point they did have to turn off the chat. Oh, I heard about that. Uh, one of the people who claims that they bear responsibility messaged me after it happened, and I think after I had tagged out of the meeting, they were slightly proud of themselves. You know, you know and the other thing about Zoom is that with the backgrounds, you can s that's another way you can see what people are really thinking. Like, uh, for example, Charles, your background of uh, this is this, you know, this uh, got this meme of being in the yeah, that's the one uh, for those of you watching on Zoom. Uh, but yeah, this uh, sitting at a coffee table with the fire all around him and he's like, this is fine. 
that, that, I mean, that's that's what that's you know just another way that people you know express their uh, express their thoughts about the whole thing, and uh, another way that people uh, you know, say what's really on their mind or show what's really on their mind. For me, I had so you can everyone on the Zoom can see my background, which is uh, my TV hanging from my wall, mm. and I actually had it tuned to the video, uh, Facebook live stream of the meeting. So I had a bit of an inception thing going. And also some people thought it was like some sort of commentary to remind everyone that everyone can see what was happening online. But of course people didn't care. No, there, there wasn't, there definitely was a, a sense of, of, of not caring for various reasons. And, um, you know, and I had some folks from my, from my state chapter who've never been to a YDA event, but this is their first foray. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of felt bad because clearly there were situations and I was getting the feedback of, you know, what, what is going on? Clearly there's some beef between these people, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, some, some controversial things that I think, you know, in, in person would have been fine. Um, you know, for example, you know, I voted against uh, judicial counsel uh, report because, from what I can tell, it was incomplete. But I didn't, I didn't necessarily believe that that all those details um, of anything that was within that report needed to be aired on Facebook Live because these are people's professional and personal reputations um, on the line. Um, and I don't think we necessarily needed to get into the nitty gritty details of of all of those um all of what was or was not in the report and why and and that kind of thing you know i just i personally said it's incomplete but i don't absolutely also don't think we have to necessarily uh take up that within the course of this virtual meeting that's something that could be saved for a, a in-person meeting later um so you know, I, I think that, you know, people come prepared with their armor on to YDA national committee meetings. Uh, and I think it's because a lot of things are driven by personality, not by mission within those organizations. People have got to really start to reorient themselves about why are we spending this time and in a lot of cases, a lot of money uh, and not be focused more on electing Democrats. And that's why a lot of people don't even, I mean, that's why a lot of people you know, go in and out of YDA. You know, they don't, a lot of people don't stay in part because of that. And I know, I've known a few people who are like that. Well, and we've also got state chapters that while they might charter um, with us, don't participate um, in our organization. Um, and I would say some of those, uh, a lot, some of those chapters don't see the value add. Yeah, I mean, I'm very close with, uh, the former leadership now because they've moved on to uh, the New Hampshire Young Democrats. And, you know, that was the one I, I was going, I wanted to mention, but I wasn't going to, but I had, a, I, I met the president at a DNC event, no value add for them. Yeah. You know, none whatsoever. Um, which is a shame because I think that, it would be better for all of us if state chapters didn't feel that way. And it would be even better if they weren't justified in feeling that way. And I think part of it is also that there are 
you know, this is not meant to be an attack on anyone, no president or listening, but this that there are almost attacks on just the pro forma things, uh, where, for instance, there were resolutions and that caused, a, there was a huge fight over one particular one on to saying that we support reducing the voting age. And they're really not, they're, you know, I, of course, am the brainchild of the manhole resolution. So I also basically showed up how they're basically not worth the paper, they're barely worth the paper that they're printed on. So it's really just statements of support. They very rarely do they have anything that are actually binding in them. But then it comes to issues like we had with judicial where there was basically a one argument saying we this stuff was some, of course, we're not going to speak specifics on this since this was in closed session, but that there were things that were said in a previous uh, national committee call saying basically the char uh, case was dismissed due to lack of evidence. And then the people still wanted to bring it up. And so people were saying that then it's uh, incomplete and it really, all it really ended up doing was just delaying things and just getting people angry. And it's just saying, I think 90% of the people would probably just say, called question if they could, but of course people are just gonna keep on debating. And well, and on the resolutions part, you know, I only, and, and, and I, I don't want to say I have some responsibility for the resolutions dragging out, but, you know, for example, did I oppose the lowering the voting age one? Yes, it's just something I didn't agree with, but I think that there are folks who really do not believe that you can hold two seemingly contradictory um, opinions in your head at the same time. So, you know, when it was clear that I was not going to have the vote to vote that down, just objectively looking at that resolution, it was a badly worded resolution. Um, and I've been the chair of my state party's platform, the resolutions committee from for just about 10 years now. And, you know, there's plenty of resolutions I've seen that maybe I would want to kill but the support in the room is to move forward, but everyone acknowledges at the same time, it's just a bad resolution. We want, we don't want a bad resolution to look badly upon us. Let's send it back. Let's reword it and, and rework it. And that's something that I actually would like to see our committees do better in YDA, like the resolution committee, like the rules committee, just because you've received something doesn't mean you can't massage it, make it better make it more presentable, um, make it just a better reflection of the organization rather than just saying, yay or nay in committee, and here's what we received. Amend it, work on it some. Um, and that's something I would really like to see uh, the organization and these committees really do, because it's something I've done a lot. You don't have to just take it in the form it was given to you and, and, and debate it on that. Acknowledge that there are things that really could be reworked or maybe it's out of compliance here or you know doesn't make sense there whether it's a, uh, a charter and bylaws amendment or a resolution or um, whatnot i mean that's what we do every two years for our platform that's the type of work that you really we really should be aspiring to um, I think part of the issue there, Matt, is that when we have debates like this, and, you know, it's very common in the National Committee for YDA, Lord knows I see it just within, like, the Kansas Democratic Party State Committee all the time as well, 
people have a habit of coming into discussions during those larger meetings. You talked about sort of massaging them into a better form. They tend not to come in with the idea of massaging them so much as, oh, I don't know, finding all of the knots on their back and bashing them in with the two by four. Um, people have a habit of coming in and saying that they don't like something, it's problematic, it's poorly written, but without any really concrete ideas of the direction to take it. And I'll be honest, a lot of people saw the criticism towards the, uh, the lowering the voting age resolution as being the same sort of thing. This is problematic, but there wasn't really a good indication of where it could go. Mm -hmm. Just repeating it's a bad resolution becomes meaningless if you don't go into detail on what's bad about it and what steps are needed to make it better. And there are a lot of reasons that yeah. necessarily get into that. And I'm not going to say- Well, like a good, a good one, a good one in, in, in that situation and something I brought up is the entire civil rights movement was in part predicated on payment of taxes should not predicate whether or not you get to vote. And that was something that was actually in the resolution. Um, and or or non-payment of taxes for that matter, um, which, you know, there are people out there who believe if you don't pay taxes because you're too poor, you shouldn't be able to vote. Um, and, you know, during the civil rights era, the payment of poll taxes uh, in order to vote. So I thought that was that was the biggest one that I just thought was kind of dangerous to tie whether or not someone pays taxes to whether or not they should be able to taxes vote. be able to vote so much as just rhetoric that could be used to show that hey we treat these people as part of a society but we don't let them have any sort of a say in it uh it was less that sort of rhetoric and you know i think they were trying to invoke the you know 1700s taxation without representation argument and it wasn't necessarily the basis for it just something that people could understand and latch on to yeah, so that's one of the ways I think it was like, it was just poorly written. Um, and I think that maybe a solution would be me, this just me throwing out ideas, is that the resolutions committee meets actually before me, oh, the convention, or any sort of meeting, and so, this is why they have a larger time slot than just one hour to go over these things, actually clean up these things, but then also basically say, here's what's possibly going to be brought up as opposed to people that are, will just get 15 signatures to bring it to platform or bring it to resolutions and boom. And then also basically try to do almost, I guess the evening general session say to everyone here, here's the resolutions that will be voted on. Please read them. And if you see something, you know, please make a motion to amend. And I think and one also, of the things that yeah. Go ahead, Sorry, One of the things that I think that was sort of exacerbated by the fact that we were having this meeting online on Sunday of the whole national committee was that we didn't have those moments to work together or be moving between rooms for all of our committee meetings on Saturday. So everyone, there were some people in the chat and there were some people in the meeting who seemed surprised by some of the things that were coming up. I think that's because we weren't all in rooms together and everybody wasn't talking about all the things that had happened during committee meetings on Saturday. But I think that a lot of us are also exhausted by the end of the weekend because we're shoving so much work into just one Saturday and one Sunday. And now that we have Zoom and we're all 
very acclimated to it at this point, I think it, it might actually help going forward if committees are doing what James is saying and meeting ahead of time, especially committees like legislation and resolutions are meeting ahead of time and giving us reports. So everybody has a heads up and then has a chance to attend again on Saturday if they need to or they want to. So when we get to Sunday, everything's a lot more polished at least. Well, see, and, and then also I think as people are being approached, so Hannah connected me with um, the former, the now former uh, uh, Northeast director and on the attorney general bar resolution. And I read it and I was like, this really just needs to be polished more. And so he and I collaborated in real time before he submitted it to make it a better resolution. And so I think sometimes, I think oftentimes, you know, it's not just, you know, I wrote a resolution now, I need to go get X number of signatures to join in so that we can introduce it. But, you know, I think it's also incumbent on those co-sponsors to say, you know, this could also be a better resolution um, and get it, get it over the finish line and really work a lot more um, on that, on that resolution as well. And then, and, and, and we just need more collab. We just need more collaboration as well. I think, you know, it's, you know, I check, 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 got, got my, wrote my resolution, got my, got my signatures. It's going to be on the agenda. It's probably really going to pass and we're done. But, you know, let's, let's also, those folks also just need to take more ownership of putting together a really good resolution. But I think, unfortunately, that was a situation where we had, I think that may have been a resolution that was supposed to be at the Kansas City meeting. Um, so we had more time, but I think also, you know, having some deadlines, people really working hard um, and not just, okay, throw something together because we got a meeting in a couple of weeks, um, I think would be also helpful uh, as well. Because if it's a really important issue, you should be really also concerned about making sure that it, it, it's worded well. It's just well-crafted. Um, you don't often need 30 whereas clauses. It's really the therefore be it resolved clause. It's the most important one. Uh, and, and, and that kind of thing. And I think that's where we, we need to have workshops on, you know, really working on things like that. So, um, you know, we just have better products in, in so many different ways. And not to like too much. And that's, and that's in the minutia. And that's, that's very much in the minutia, but um, I just always want us to aspire to be better. And not to like toot my own horn or anything, but for instance, Edgar Ortiz, who is the chair of the Hispanic Caucus, reached out to me weeks before what was supposed to be the Kansas City meeting and said, you know, I'm working on this resolution about migrant, ju uh, migrant justice. Uh, would you mind coming on as a co-sponsor? I said to him, you know, I want to just look over it first, but, you know, generally I'm in support. And I said to him, I looked over this thing. I said, you know, this could be a little bit better. And I said, you know, you may want to add in a few lines from our actual platform. So I think like maybe two or three whereas clauses down, you see uh, it was, I suggested that they add in, whereas the Young Rights America platform says X, Y, and Z. And so it basically it flowed better into an expansion on our platform. And so I'm definitely agreeing, in agreement with what Matt's saying. Oh, I was surprised to see some of the pushback on Hannah's resolution, which I think the Nebraska delegation did a fantastic job writing and talking to people like it was great and i was shocked to see how are we as young democrats having a debate over this resolution with the uh senator nominee the democrat senator nominee in uh, nebraska yeah santa you haven't chimed in yet uh yes. you're 
Yeah, well, done by your resolution. <laughs> um, well, yeah, my resolution is about Chris Janicek, of course. Um, he's a Senate nominee in Nebraska who is still not dropped out. The deadline for us to replace him on the ballot is the end of August. So that's why uh, myself, Quentin, and the rest of and all of Nebraska decided to draft a resolution about it. I was very taken aback when somebody like brought it up. I did not think anyone would have anything to say. Like, we hate people who sexually harass. This should be simple. But I'm glad it did pass in the end. Um, well, not just sexually harassed, but sexually harassed a good number of people who belong to our organization and even if they're not a national committee member has shown a huge level of disrespect to people who are ostensibly young Democrats, whether they're at the local level, state level or national level. And I think there are bad actors. I've, I've dealt with bad actors who have been accused credibly of, of sexual harassment. And there is, something to be said about the fact that we should stand against these actions all the time. And I do agree, but this is, this is also a, a, a time sensitive matter too. I mean, do we want this person to be a standard bearer for, I mean, the, uh, the highest nominee for Nebraska other than Joe Biden on the ballot? Um, you know, no governor's election, you know, this this is the this is the ticket leader um, with Joe Biden, and um, you know, I just I, 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 I couldn't understand the 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 the, the pushback really. Um, but what about other it? than yes, we we but we should be rooting this out all the time. Yes, <laughs> um, but. You know, when we have people on our national committee saying they've been harassed uh, and improperly touched, you know, to me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had the uh, same problem here in Florida, like a few. What was it? A few years ago, the uh, the uh, chairman of the Florida Democratic Party had to resign because of what he said, sexual harassment and. His name's Stephen Patel, uh, just in case you're running. And in his office, you're gonna find this hard to believe, uh, he had like these stress balls that look like boobs. Like, I'm being serious here. And he resigned maybe a couple of days after that. And it's, yeah, Florida's, Florida's pretty used to bad actors at this point. I just thought I should bring that up since it's being discussed. So in Wisconsin, we just got rid of one uh, via primary last uh, last Tuesday. Uh, one of uh, one of our former members um, who decided that pressuring a legislative staffer for sex was totally a thing he should do as a state legislator, um, and he lost that primary by an eighty to twenty margin. Uh, because the voters of Green Bay strongly disagreed with uh, him as to uh, whether or not he should remain in office after that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm still kicking myself for not thinking to introduce a resolution, um, although party rules would have prevented me specifically from introducing it. So I should have really written it and given one of you the text. 
Um, <laughs> next time. Next time, yeah. And well, and then, and then we have the kid, the, and I say kid, and I don't mean this in a diminutive way, but the 19-year-old in which state? Is it Kansas? Missouri. Missouri. Well, the the one that I just saw today, I thought it was Kansas. Oh, oh, um, I know. Okay, you are where he, he admitted to revenge porn. You know, yes. we had known yes. that beforehand. Um, another situation where you know, depending on how absentee votes could go, will possibly be the um, yeah, it's Kansas. Because Laura Kelly's uh, spokesperson said, you know, this person should not be in the legislature, but could possibly knock off an incumbent. Um, and has no Republican opponent in the general election. Now, there are things that came up about, you know, what he did in middle school. I think a lot of us were at that in middle school. Um, but revenge porn, which in a lot of states now is, I mean, in North Carolina, revenge porn could put you on the sex offender registry. I mean, that's a pretty serious um a pretty serious accusation with that person in particular i mean even beyond i mean the revenge porn is obviously the most egregious thing but he's had issues with using anti-gay slurs when people have tried to talk to him about some of his issues with going out and you know saying publicly after uh, herman cain's death that he hoped that other republicans would get the coronavirus and die um you know the firestorm from that outside of the district has been intense um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, it's less that people are mad about stuff he did in middle school so much as there is just a consistent pattern of behavior dating back to that from him. And, I mean, the party itself has been pretty good about disavowing him. And, you know, he does make it through after we get done canvassing any absentee or write-in votes. Uh, anything like that, which unfortunately it looks like he's still going to be able to do. He's not going to be in there for more than two years. It's already been made clear he's not going to get any committee appointments. He's just going to have a lot of opportunity to do damage in the meantime. But, and I think, you know, this kind of gets to the point that you and a few other people were making. There's a level of accountability that we are constantly struggling to learn and to get better about doing because we have this need to you know, unless somebody is, say, running in a primary and not in our wing of the party that we like, not really holding people accountable. Um, for what Hannah was doing, I mean, the anger that so many people had seemed to come from the idea that, well, there are so many other issues, so many other problematic people in the Democratic Party. Why is it this one that we're doing anything about? And really the solution, and I tried to say this during the meeting last week, was just because the Nebraskans were willing to say something. They're the ones who stepped up and said, this is an issue for us. We want YDA to show some solidarity with us. And I think anyone else had they asked to do that, including some of the people that people were complaining about last week, would have been able to get the same sort of positive reception. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Hannah's been calling for this guy to drop out, I think, almost every day on Twitter. Um, you know, the chair of the Nebraska Democratic Party is a former uh, chief of staff for YDA. I mean, there's a lot of organizational ties of people who are asking this person to withdraw so that the party can put a credible candidate on the ballot, especially when we're trying to talk about Donald Trump and his lack of character. Um, you know, I just think it's so vitally important uh, that it didn't have to be a food fight. Um, 
about, you know, other bad actors. Because as you said, they were willing to step up and, and ask for us to go on record. And I, I, if I memory serves, like both Hannah and I said, and like when we were debating that particular resolution, both of us would help anyone who wants to basically create a resolution saying, uh, here are the candidates that like we want to have dropped out you know, we'll help write those resolutions. And I, I can't speak for Hannah, but I certainly, anyone listening to this podcast, you know, or he, well, listening is probably more like it. Uh, I certainly will stand by that. You know, you can certainly find me on Facebook or email me, text me, whatever. And I will hold true to it. Like you want help writing a resolution saying, you know, the Chris Janisics of the world have to go. I'm definitely down for that. Yeah, and I think I think kind of um, just based on you know what we've been talking about with this resolution as well as the voting age resolution and just resolutions in general with YDA, you know, ask around, ask people for help, and get their ideas and offer your own input as well. I mean, you know, don't you know don't just wait until a resolutions meeting or a regular national committee meeting, you know, and just you know ask around and especially ask people who are uh, affected by an issue uh, or who are from communities that are impacted by an issue and try to make sure that their voices are, uh, I know this is kind of diverging a little bit from what we were talking about with the Genesec uh, resolution, but just in general, you know, lift up their voices and uh, help them, you know, make sure that their voices are being centered when you're talking about issues that impact them. Uh, and you know, I think that's, you know, I think that's been an issue just in progressive in the progressive space overall is that we don't always talk to each other. We're oftentimes we're in our silos and that's not, and it's, it's natural, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I understand it's not always easy to break out of that, but we've got to, you know, I think we've got to kind of, we do have to break out of that and we have to talk to people about you know, these kinds of issues, whether it be, you know, whether it be inappropriate behavior or whether it be, we want to make a resolution worded better. You know, I think, think it's just, you know, let's, let's not be afraid to, you know, to actually talk to people beforehand and say, hey, maybe we could do this instead. Maybe we could take a different approach or maybe, you know, maybe we could, you know, I, I would like to, you know, I, we have an issue in our state uh, with our state uh, that we need to be addressed. Can we add, you know, can we add that? So I just, I just think, you know, it, and it's like I say, it's, it's a natural human thing to do, but I think overall we have to be more, you know, more open and honest and start actually talking to, to other people more about these kinds of issues. Well, and understanding where people are coming from and not automatically assuming the worst possible motivation, which I think strikes to the heart of a lot of issues within our organization. Um, you know, but also I think, I mean, I'm not saying the Democratic Party, but I think in the progressive movement, though, there is a high tolerance for abusive behavior, whether that's interpersonal, uh, sexual in nature, uh, or other things. Like folks are very willing to turn a, a blind eye uh, and not hold people accountable as long as they follow a particular ideological bent, which I think is also a big problem um, in the broader uh, progressive movement. Speaking a little more broadly, though, like there is some degree of personal accountability uh, people have to have. And like on the issue of resolutions in the, I want to say Atlanta meeting, uh, 
there was an there was an idea brought forward by Jenny Ashley of South Carolina saying, "Hey, how about we do a resolution saying that like candidates should have access coordinators and 508 coordinators on their campaigns?" And this came right after I and friend of the pod, Mel Shapiro, gave a presentation on how to make accessible campaigns. Uh, and basically, I said, Ash, Jenny, you're absolutely right. And then I basically tried to start writing this thing, this resolution. And I just realized between me having to craft this thing, revise it, and then also get the 15 sponsors, unless I was willing to stay up till like 2 a.m., there was no, I was not going to be able to do it in time. And so I said, Jenny, I said, you know, I, I just can't do it. And I'm sorry, but I have a better, I have a solution. How about we try to get this into the platform to, uh, at the YA uh, con convention? She says, I like that. And so I wrote up that provision It's in there now. And the sort of interesting part is right as it's being debated, I get an email from the disability council chair, uh, Congressman Tony Quello about this, like asking, James, do you know about this? I say, yeah, actually, I wrote this. Of course, I'm not even in the room. So, one of those areas where I think the DNC also is per, uh, spying on us, which, to that point, though, so King Charles did send me uh, something from the, it was, a mem it was a pamphlet created by the Office of Strategic Services, which uh, most people will know is the precursors to the CIA. It's all about uh, methods of sabotage. And I'll add this in the show notes. Page 28, under uh, General Interference with Organizations in Production, subsection A, 1. Insists on doing everything through channels. Never permit shortcuts to be taken in order to expedite decisions. 2. Make speeches. Talk as frequently and as possible at great lengths. Illustrate your points by long anecdotes and accounts of personal experiences. Never hesitate to make a few patriotic comments. Three, when possible, refer all matters to committees for further review and consideration. Attempt to make the committee as large as possible, never less than five. Four, bring up irrelevant issues as frequently as possible. Five, haggle over precise wordings and communications minutes resolutions. Six, refer back matters decided upon at the last meeting and attempt to reopen the question and visibility of that decision. Seven, advocate caution, be reasonable, and urge of your fellow conferences, conferences uh, be reasonable and avoid has a haste which may, might result in embarrassment or difficulties later on. Lastly, eight, be worried about the propriety of any decision. Raise the question of whether such action is, as is contemplated, lies within the jurisdiction of the group, whether it might conflict with the policy of some higher echelon. echelon. Which, when Charles sent that to me, he says, sound familiar? So the real question is, who, who would I mm -hmm. That's actually why we put all of you on this panel, because we've narrowed it down to one of you. Well, we already know that Melissa Shapiro's cat is a spy. Well, yeah, that, that's a given, but Melissa Shapiro's cat wasn't on the call. It has collaborators. It's me. I'm the spy. God damn it. But you know what? It's kind of funny. Listening to, listening to those, I definitely have people in my state party every meeting who 
in various situations have said those things. Now, I know they're not a spy for the CIA, um, but, you know, I have one gentleman who will argue and take up nearly an hour on the most minute details on rules and minutes and agenda items. I know others who have said the same thing um, about various things. I'm, while I typically do refer things or want to refer things back to a committee to hash it out, um, it's not to kill something. It's to make it better. Um, but I know people who, you know, if you want to kill it, send it to a committee um, and stack it in a way that can produce something. Um, and so it's very fascinating. You know, those, those are just things I have always thought were ways to derail something, but I'm glad to know the CIA actually has a manual. Uh, probably a very researched, a lot of very well researched um, action. <laughs> it's actually pretty hilarious. It's extremely thorough um, with all, all manner of in, industrial uh, sabotage as well uh, listed in it. Um, they have it on their website now. Um, it's this like, look what we did a century ago kind of thing. Um, but I, I will say that I felt that the resolutions debate that we had at our last, at, at our virtual meeting really like, was in, in many ways a low point for me in terms of my involvement with YDA because I miss Dallas, all right? I wasn't in Dallas, so you can't say, well, what about Dallas? Um, <clears throat> Dallas was nothing. Yeah, uh, or LA or, or either one of those. I, I had a few years away from YDA. Uh, oh, so but, this virtual uh, meme would, would be my third YDA meme. The Kansas City meme would have been, would have been my third as well. But, but you know, COVID. But yeah. um, if you if you guys are in my shoes for a second, I'm a state board member, but I'm not a national committee person or president. So the fact that I couldn't be on the Zoom call that you guys were on just to vote or discuss whatever resolutions or issues that's brought up, I had to watch it from Facebook Live for nine hours without having the ability to vote. So I had to communicate with my committee members and my president to express my frustration with the whole Robert's Rules process where, where this is just me personally, I just felt like Robert's Rules is being weaponized to make the mean last longer than it should. Um, but that's just me personally. And yeah. I've been coming to these YDA meetings for, for like a year now since I've been a state board member. And I had a good time traveling to various cities like Indy and Birmingham. I would love to come to your city, Ben, but you know, but, but, but I, the amount of exposure I got, even though I'm not a committee member or a president, it's it has been great, and I would love to participate in all these debates, but th this past weekend was a little bit of a low point for me, being it's online, and I can't even be on the Zoom call on Sunday, but I had to watch, so. So I think, like, I think the reason for that, and Seamus, feel free to correct me um, if I'm wrong, because you were involved in the credentialing process, or at least the figuring out how to make the credentialing process, and you as well, Matt, 
was that um, we were recording votes by raised hands on Zoom. And so if you were not a national committee member or a proxy holder and you were on the Zoom call, they would have to then check the raised hand against the list of national committee members and proxies in order to ensure that the vote was actually a credentialed vote. There's a mixture of that and also that the there is only a limited number of spaces available for in the Zoom account that YDA has. So I think it's about 300 people. So for that reason, of course, we could only really accommodate for the yeah. members. And, uh, and other organizations I've been in, um, like our state, um, our state convention and our also our, our, our state executive committee, when we had to do those virtually, we did the same thing. We credentialed everyone. We made sure that the only people who had the link who could actually get into Zoom were credentialed. Uh, that was a very tedious process when you've got a state convention of like 2,500 people. Um, and, you know, everyone else pretty much had to either watch YouTube or Facebook. Um, but you, you, you lose the interaction piece, but at the same time, you know, those same folks wouldn't in an in-person meeting have the right to get to the microphone and ask questions either. So I actually feel like, you know, that was a good way to do it. Uh, I think there were better ways for us to take votes. Um, and whether that was either through, you know, uh, Google Forms probably would have been too, too much given the number of votes that we had. Raised hands, I've seen that happen. But, you know, using the polling feature would have been better because then we would actually would have had a recording of each person's vote. So if there was ever a challenge to the outcome, was someone properly credentialed? Were they, you know, an actual national committee member? Did they actually have a proxy, et cetera? We could go back and, and look at it. We probably should have used the, the polling feature more um, for simple yes, no. And most of them were yes, no votes. If memory serves, I think it was with the raise hand, it was that the Secretary Rebecca Penn said we've done the raise hand feature with the uh, within the Democratic uh, State Committee for Mer uh, Massachusetts, I should say, and they worked well there. Everyone cool with that. And it was one of those areas where every, no, yeah, there was we, no we, we did it. We did it in North Carolina as well. The problem that we ran into was there were people who proverbed like almost for whatever reason the raise hand feature was stuck, and we would lower the hand, but their hand would go back up. Um, and so it, it can be glitchy. That's the, that's the only thing. But I, I really think the polling feature is an underused feature. Uh, and then you can easily, you know, there was a few times I was like, okay, did it pass? Did it not? Are we just looking and seeing if it, you know, had the right, um, you know, the right number of hands go up or down or whatnot? I mean, it can just be a glitchy feature and, and polling you know, when I used it, I could go back after the meeting was completed and like verify, you know, how did certain people vote and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, because I think when you record it, though, when you record it, you know, you only see what you just see people's faces. You don't see, you know, the participants um, tab. But the, 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 the downside, though, of, of the polling feature, and I think it's also a problem in 
with the raised hands feature is you have to limit your number of co-hosts because panelists can raise their hand and participate in polling. But, uh, but if everyone's a, if every like if every officer was a host, for example, uh, they couldn't participate in that. So you still have some version of having to take you know record of who voted and how. If if there was going to be a close vote, I was ready to take screenshots of like the participation panel to screenshot it. But there were like no close votes. I did not end up doing that. But those was going through my mind. I'm like, if it's close, it might be nice to have that record. But I don't think with anything that was even close to a. Uh, a close vote during the resolution stuff. And uh, this, one of those things that also, I wonder uh, with the polling feature though in Zoom, I think it's only the uh, hosts that actually see the results and who voted because since it is actually supposed to be com uh, convention style with everyone on the record publicly, that could make it that it's actually a private vote as opposed to public. So there could have been a question uh, of, of the rules. Well, it, it, it could have been viewed as a voice vote. You you could do it as a voice vote, but you can share the results like and make. Oh, I muted myself, so you can show the results, and then after the meeting is done, you can pull the 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 basically treat it like a roll call vote. So you would see the results uh, and how many overall participants voted one way or another, um, and then afterwards you can go in and. And if someone had a question, you know, on a close vote or something, you can't actually go in after, but it's after the meeting is over. You can't get the, you can't get it in real time. And are you were going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say that you can share the results. Yeah. What you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can share the results, but I guess, Matt, you were talking about uh, whether, you know, who, you know, the actual... Yeah, who voted for if every, who voted how. Yeah, if everyone's a registered, and in this case, everyone had to be registered. So if everyone was registered, then um, their name and how they voted would show up. But where it gets a little complicated is if you just had an open meeting uh, where someone didn't have to be registered and be, you know, and, and whatnot um, with a unique link, you do have the, t the, the possibility of having, you know, uh, anonymous votes in a way, but if you're doing a registered meeting, you don't run into that problem. That's really way into the weeds for a podcast, though. <laughs> yeah. We've been in the weeds for most of this podcast, so yeah. that, that serves to be par for the course for what we're doing today. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, at, well, you know, when we put this together, we were really just going to let everyone commiserate about how stressed and sad they were that they sat through nine hours of Zoom meetings. Oh, hey. And of course, most problems first. So the specific low point for me during resolutions was when I tried to get Matt's votes via chat recognized and couldn't get unanimous consent for that. I'm sorry, Matt. I cannot fucking believe. No, that. you know you're 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 fine. And I think you know my um, you know I was kind of calm at first when I I wanted to call some folks out, um, but it did strike a nerve with me. You know I was you know, trying to work through something. And I think that goes back to challenging people's intentions. Are they doing the best that they can do? You know, is it nefarious or can, can, can some of the stuff just be benevolent? Could it just be, you know, Matt had to step away or might be having technical issues or in this case, dealing with a personal issue. 
um, where YDA is not the priority in that situation. Um, and I, and I, I hold true to what I say. There is a perception that YDA is a callous organization because it becomes about personality. It becomes about people's perceived ill intent. And it becomes about uh, not being mission focused. Um, I don't think anything we did this past weekend, except for Saturday, did anything to elect Democrats um, because it was so personality focused. And so, and and and, and having people, the, having the the sense that everyone is a bad actor in some way, shape, or form. And maybe that's just not my point of view of people. I, I give people that benefit of the doubt, and I assume that they're operating in good faith. And um, the person uh, who I apparently made a comment that I didn't hear um, was said I made it personal uh, in a private message and you know that just wasn't the case um, I didn't make it personal by making that comment as a point of personal privilege I believe it was made personal in how it was framed in the objection to begin with uh, so we get as it may you know we definitely got to be more understanding more sympathetic more caring towards uh, folks, because you know the other thing that just gets me is none of us are paid to do this. None of us are paid, um, but you would think we were taking jobs and money and and livelihoods away from folks. Um, you know, I just can't get upset uh, routinely about a job that I. I mean, that's the thing about in the Democratic Party. These are these are one of the few, this is the only organization I'm part of where I have to pay to participate as a volunteer. Um, and I think we just have to make, you know, just understand that so much more. We're just all volunteers trying to do the best that we can. And I think it's also worth noting that there is, that also with this meeting, so their big thing that would happen was the vote for DNC elections. And the lead up to that was, for lack of a better <laughs> term, not nuts. Bless you, Ben. Thank you. Uh, so we, we all got a push poll uh, by a phone or uh, let's see, we got several emails. We got, yeah, uh, basically it was the most intense and we all got, I think, uh, targeted ads. It was a very intense race for something that also, yes, you get a vote on dancing and that is a big deal. But in many ways, there's also very little payoff and it's people taking this thing way too seriously. I missed the push poll, but that was another one where I was just like, "You, someone spent a lot of money to do a push poll for, again, something that, you know, doesn't pay. I mean, I ran for the DNC uh, in North Carolina. And I, you know, I paid a couple hundred dollars to send, you know, postcards to the electorate. Uh, and I did the same thing when I ran for delegate, but, you know, and I make, but I, but I spent more time on the phone calling people, you know, really listening to them, you know, having, putting together some volunteer. I wanted to make it as personal as possible. And a postcard to me is personal. Um, a phone call is personal. A text message is personal, uh, depending on how you do it. Um, making those personal connections. Um, but the ads, I didn't see any ads, but, you know, some of it just uh, was really 
I don't know. And, and some of the emails that we got, uh, one email in particular uh, from a former national committee person, if I wasn't already supporting Brianna, sincere, sincerely turned me off. Um, and, you know, if I wasn't already in her camp, not sure that would have swayed me um, at all because it was um, negative in tone. Um, Again, personally demeaning. And personally demeaning and, you know, definitely called into questions motivations and, and called them out to just stop reading right now. This is, if this applies to you, just stop reading. And it just, oh, I actually think it, yeah, I think, I think that one was, what was like a very negative one. Um, and, you know, there's another one as well that came out and, you know, I don't know uh, whether or not that person, the, the candidate approved it. Um, I didn't ask, but I also believe that's not your story to tell either. Um, and especially when you are so personally identifiable with that, that particular candidate and campaign. So, um, and I think people cannot compartmentalize that working for this person and sending this email, you know, isn't part of the campaign strategy. Um, and I believe it wasn't part of the campaign strategy. But, you know, that, that's the type of stuff that I think ultimately turns, uh, turn, turns folks off. As someone new, I want to comment because I know I'm in the same boat as Ian. This is my third meeting at national level. And I just, they, 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 the, tox, the, the way people act toward each other, just, it's toxic, toxic for, again, volunteer stuff. I mean, I worked in the nonprofit sector. We are competing for the same donors in the same field. And I see more respect when we're like literally talking about people's jobs because the donor moves his money, right? And it's insane to see, I guess, in YDA, just this, you know, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to get young Democrats elected and just how this, this, the toxic, like how toxic it can be between people is kind of like jarring in some cases. It's like a newer person and kind of like something. I know it's been part of it, but I'm like surprised to see like keep on happening. Obviously, it's politics, but still at the same time, it's like we're on the same team. We're all here on our volunteering or our, our weekend. Normally, we're, we're, we are paying for the privilege to get what berated by someone who wants to do that. Yeah, I mean, I was in the middle of a fairly sensitive and um, difficult bit of political work in Wisconsin when I got the push poll. Um, and as it involves a pending legal matter, that's all I can really say. Um, but it took me away from that at a very inopportune time. Um, and when I realized that it was a YDA push poll, I was like, please You're making some threats. Okay. I saw that. What? You were making some threats after, after that. I, I saw your post. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And if I ever find out who did that, I'm absolutely suing them. Um, it's completely, it's a strict liability statute. Um, uh, feder federally to use robocalls to cell phones unsolicited. Um, and I think that every member of the national committee should, because this is ridiculous. Um, well, that's also the part where I didn't answer the call because I saw something come in. I believe the phone number that it came from was a California number. And I just don't, I just don't accept, I, I have an app that tells me it's probably speed. And, but at the same time, you know, I know some folks who also got it who were also very upset. But that also was just part of the, you know, but I don't care enough to get upset uh, about it, uh, even though it is illegal. 
And Charles, you're a much better person to hold people accountable. But it was just like I couldn't make myself upset about it, um, even if I wanted to, even if it is illegal, uh, you know, activity against, you know, the, what FCC regulation. Um, because, hey, I just think that's kind of ridiculous to do it to begin with. <laughs> you know, to, to, to do a push poll. I mean, who does a push poll? Uh, for, you know, something. And, 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 you know, what I'm more concerned about is the fact that someone had access to the National Committee list and used it for campaign purposes um, without authorization. That's what I'm more, because it, uh, more concerned about, because that goes back to folks who have access to information that goes against an internal policy, and it's like, I'm going to win at all costs. Um, and abuse this information. Um, and anyone who has the National Committee list knows you can't copy it, you can't print it, you can't download it. But if you had someone, they can transcribe it. <laughs> uh, all 150, 60, 70 names. Um, which also, I think, goes back to the ridiculous, ridiculousness of it that you probably transcribed every person's name on that um, and their phone number to do it. And like I, so this is not really a secret, like I am the vice chair of the technology uh, training and digital integration committee as deputy technology director. When I was first brought on to the tech team uh, two years ago as a developer, one of the first, before I could truly be hired, if you want to call it that, was I had to sign an NDA. Like, and that's still enforceable, so like I have access to everyone's info and i've you know i'm not of course not going to be like spamming anyone with it you know it's you know, i'm not going to be sharing it with third parties things like that and then after so there was during the birmingham meeting there was an email that went out one to most people's spam folders basically trying to say that uh everyone should vote against one person for uh, an appointment and it really was a very I'm not going to go into the details of it, but it was mostly guilt by association. And after, after that came out, basically I spoke to the secretary about it, and I am the technology director, and the decision was we are locking down that list, and that's why it cannot be copied or anything. Uh, and But the fact that also that they, that decision would have been in December, so the fact that also people were somehow got this list sometime between December and July and August and also which of course there's been plenty of turnover within members of the National Committee because of state conventions they will resign etc so someone had to have gotten it very early and something that I brought up on my personal Facebook which most of you saw was the fact that we also got a uh, push or we got a straw poll quote-unquote back in September and you know, they still have not been able to track down who did that. I just don't care about any of this. You're putting me to sleep right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you chose to come on here. You know what we were going to be discussing. So to kind of move it away from being a little bit in of, of these kinds of weeds, and also because, well, we have, what, nine people on our chat right now, and this has mostly been dominated by two or three let me just pose a very general question for everybody. And I want everyone to take maybe no more than two minutes answering uh, so that everyone can get in. We don't know how long the pandemic is going to be 
as much of a factor as it is. And we don't necessarily know when we're going to be able to do in-person meetings again, as much as, you know, we'd really like to. If it comes to the point where we do need to conduct business like that again, and we do need to have it virtually again, I mean, what do you think is going to be the key to making sure that we don't have another debacle like we ended up in, in that meeting last week? Um, just, and this can be quick top of your head. Don't go too into detail. Cause frankly, we've been recording for over an hour at this point and we just don't have time. Um, but everyone kind of weigh in, like, what are your thoughts, things that maybe popped into your head last week? And don't be afraid to be a little bit harsh. You know, we're still saying this as friends of each other and of the people that are organizing these meetings, but be blunt just for us. I want to, I want to know what people's thoughts are. Can we have like a workshop on how to conduct, I mean, using Robert's rules because, um, I saw, uh, Quentin try to run the meeting. It was, I was cringing. It was hard to watch. Having to add the parliamentarian for each vote. So maybe have, maybe have some kind of a workshop on parliamentary procedure just so that everybody's on the same page. They know how to do this motion or this motion. And has anyone second or object, object that kind of thing. As a former parliamentarian myself and student government, it was a little embarrassing to watch. Scott, you've been quiet for a uh, You want me? Okay. Um, I mean, I kind of touched on it earlier. Is like, you know, actually talking to people about different, uh, about different issues and ideas you have and not just, you know, not just kind of, not that anyone did this necessarily, but you don't want to just spring, spring it up on people, you know. Um, I think also... I think one thing that we haven't really talked about today is making sure that we are better, that we are more mindful of people's experiences in terms of, you know, people who have gone through trauma and there needs to, we need to be more informed about how we handle, uh, how we talk and how we approach issues and, uh, you know, regard, you know, when it comes to people who, when it comes to knowing that we have people who have experienced some traumatic things in their lives. And uh, I think I, it was mentioned that we need to have some trauma-informed trainings uh, for national committee members. And I think we need to do that um, because there's, I mean, we should be, we, we really have to be more mindful of that. And, and I, I think all of us need to take our responsibility, including myself, making sure that we're not, you know, making sure that our word choice, making sure that how we, you know, how we talk about these delicate issues is something that we are mindful of. Um, that's, uh, that's something that I've thought about a few times over the past week is just, you know, how can we, you know, another thing that we can learn from uh, is you know, making sure that we are you know, treating people with respect and knowing, understanding that they've gone through some difficult uh, traumatic events and they need to, and we don't want to be in a position where we are we might not intend to um, we might not intend to bring back these bad memories for people, but it's not about intent. It's about impact. And we have to be mindful of that. This, this isn't something that I would necessarily say is something about a, a future digital meeting, but just the organization 
as a whole really needs to go through a lean project management exercise. Um, there's a lot of bloat. There's a lot of things that we do um, seemingly sometimes without any explanation about why we do it that way. Too many appointed positions, you know, for a national organization with not a lot of money, um, we sure do go through a very complicated way of doing things um, and really focusing on what's critical um, would be a very good exercise for us to go through. Um, I think a few things would be, um, I think it's very reiterate people should read the resolutions and all the documents beforehand. A lot of times for me, people are saying, I did not read this. It was sent down in advance. It's available in advance. Um, I think, you know, with, with the uh, Robert's Rules of Orders people, we were joking about this in roll caucus, but we will provide a competition so people with deep knowledge can go, go through obscure Robert's Rules of Orders of things, but preventing the general session, the, the national committee meeting becoming a playground where people are trying to just reforce Robert's Rules of Orders, especially in a digital format where people can just cut in and it's very unruly sometimes. So really reiterating like some flexibility, like in keeping Robert's was important, but not trying to keep on bringing up issues. If it's like, maybe you can just like raise, like send a message to the chat privately to like the host or to the parliamentarian, just more effective ways without a full disruption of the meeting for some things that end up not, where the disruption takes more time than the actual like discussion issue, like five minutes to figure something out for like two minutes. And then also a positive, and on the positive, the, the um, constituency caucuses, I think the online was very powerful because it allowed us to get a lot of our members who don't attend the meeting to actually be able to participate. So if we do it online, maybe more than 30 minutes. I know for the Rural Caucus, we had 30 plus people, which is amazing. A lot of new people who have never participated. I don't know if the Jewish Caucus did the same thing. We got new people who normally don't participate. Absolutely. Let's embrace those and maybe give it more than 30 minutes. If we're gonna have able to draw in larger crowds, you know, moving forward, we can get better speakers and really engage our constituencies on the national level. I think that's a very powerful opportunity for YDA to do as a national body has been talking about national issues for these constituencies. Let's give it some more time and just these quick 30 minutes on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, just to build off of that, the uh, Chartered Unit Presidents Association meeting, um, we had the most participants we've ever had in any of my time in uh, that particular auxiliary body. Um, and it was great and it was a really productive meeting and we probably could have added an extra hour to it and it would have remained productive. Um, in terms of what I would do to improve things in a future virtual meeting, um, I think that there were a handful of people who for whatever reason really chose to abuse the goodwill of the body um, during the course of this meeting. And while I don't want to suggest this as a normal way of doing business, there are options available under Robert's rules for dealing with the ability of extremely disruptive members to continue to disrupt the meeting, 
especially when they make it so that our debate is mostly about impugning the motives of other people and not about whatever it is that we're actually discussing. And it might be worth considering motions along uh, those lines in the future in virtual meetings if uh, people continue to behave in that way. Just want to quickly comment. I said 30 minutes earlier. I meant one hour. This is that time, but still longer. Just before before the comments come. Hannah, TJ, we still haven't heard from either of you. Hannah, you want to go first? Oh, I don't care. I'll take it. Uh, so I think that we would benefit from two things. This was actually the second online meeting for the LGBTQ plus caucus. And both of those meetings went really well. We saw a lot of member engagement, uh, like Zach was talking about with the rural caucus. It was really nice for us to be able to get together. We'd had a lot of business. I feel like we would have been able to much more easily get through it because we had done that. And going back to something Shannon said a lot earlier would be having committees, you know, meet ahead of time and, and do business maybe in between our national committee meetings. That way it doesn't all sort of pile up when we might be going several months before the, well, we will be going several months before the next meeting. Uh, I think that that would help a lot. Uh, that and uh, another thing we could do is maybe have like a set of not necessarily workshops, but like training videos just to explain to people because I was chatting with a lot of people, especially on Sunday that just weren't sure about what was going on or weren't sure why a particular thing was happening. Not necessarily focused on Robert's rules, but focused on why does the national committee do this? Why are we spending time on this? And I think that if we do a Robert's rules uh, training, it could also focus on showing people that you know this motion that you think will make everything end sooner is probably going to drag out longer in this instance and this this might be what you might want to do instead because a lot of people seem to have uh an interest in moving things along but ended up making it go even longer because of the way it was presented yeah oh i guess i guess i have to talk now okay um <laughs> I think Saturday was fantastic. Um, I think, like, I ran a panel for the Labor Caucus, and it was super well attended. Um, I think all the caucus meetings and committee meetings seemed to go really well on Saturday. I, I think we should definitely replicate that again and give people more time. Like, some of the committees could maybe meet in advance, like some people have suggested. Um, and I think also we could do a better job of communicating the deadlines for, like, resolutions and rules and legislation because like even as a national officer I had no idea when they were sometimes and I was constantly bugging people about it um and like I didn't know when they were going to show up on the website it just seemed really random to me so I feel like if we were a little more like oh here's all of the shit read it before your meeting I think that might help a little bit on Sunday but I also think it's YDA and I just, maybe I'm too cynical now that it's been a decade, but I just, I was not at all surprised that it took nine hours and I feel like it will again. It'll just be something else we'll come up with to argue about. Unfortunately, I don't know if we can really, when it's virtual, people don't have flights to catch so they can just talk all day. Um, 
but Saturday was great and we should do a lot more of stuff like Saturday. And just like as a final point, you know, usually those stalling tactics that we hear with all these motions that those are stalling tactics is where you can try to get people to leave the room because they have flights to catch or whatever. Uh, so you can try to get your way. And of course we saw that when that is not the case, you know, it will go on forever. And so both Matt and I have said private said to each other in our little chat here that something that we should definitely try to consider is maybe have time limits for areas of the agenda. Yeah. But it people would push back, but I think it's incredibly necessary. A few people have talked about having meetings, you know, kind of pre-meetings. I'll tell you, like, my day job is that I'm a disability rights attorney. Um, my office is part of the National Disability Rights Network, and they have an annual convention, which, if not for the pandemic, would have been in Arizona this uh, earlier this summer. When they realized that they were going to have to move it all online, it was going to be a week-long program. What they actually did was took advantage of the fact that they didn't have physical constraints, and they just spread out the sessions that they were going to have. So instead of cramming them all in within a couple of days, they would have a few each day online and spread it out over three weeks to increase flexibility. Um, and that didn't really, and granted, that's a different sort of organization. Um, the time constraints are a lot different and it doesn't conduct the sort of business um, and it doesn't work on campaigns the way YDA does. But it was able to do a lot of good educational programming, including appearances from Eric Holder and a few other fairly prominent figures in a very spread out way without detracting from any of the work that it was trying to do. And I think if we do have to do another virtual meeting and at this rate, we very well may, that's something that YDA could really learn from. And I think people would be a lot less tired going into the business meeting at the end. Um, hopefully they could hash out a few more of their questions about rules, resolutions, what have you beforehand. I mean, it's YDA, people will still always find a way to make drama over something because it is our lifeblood. Um, but yeah, in, there's certainly nothing in against us being able to set our own internal rules for a particular meeting saying, we have to do this again come fall, come next spring, summer, whatever, to say, you know, the rules for this meeting are going to be, you know, officer reports are going to be no more than 30 minutes. So, you know, you have nine officers, you do the math. My report was very quick, okay? It was. Yes. Actually, I forgot about that. So it's 11 officers. So. Yeah. You forget about me. And soon to be yeah. Charles. Aren't you soon to be the A cup chair? Yeah. Sasha has up to six months um, to remain A cup chair, according to our bylaws. Although I don't know how many of those six months she'll take. And uh, we have a pretty strong norm for. The second meeting is uh, when you're actually gone. Um, but it's up to her. She seems to be enjoying life in New York. Um, Best say their damn will is. No. I disagree with that entirely, Shane. Yeah. New York is not the best. I'm going to bleep all, of, the, all of what you're saying out. Wisconsin is the best state ever, and that's where we should all be right now. I would have been on my flight yesterday. I, I am very sad that I won't be seeing all of you at the 2020 DNC. You're my pain. Um, if if you've attended any of the social events that uh, I, I've I've had at 
various YDA functions. I intended to do something very similar um, for the DNC. Um, not every night, though. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, hopefully we get it again in 2024 and y'all can enjoy beer and cheese curds. Yeah. I was going to be a volunteer for the DNC convention, but of course, it's going to go virtual. So I would have enjoyed my time in, in Milwaukee. But not to brag, but I'm from the biggest background state here in Florida. And it would have been nice to have it in Miami, but Wisconsin, you win. <laughs> I think. See, I don't listen. know. Anytime, anytime a party has held a convention in Florida, it has either not won the election or was just completely bungled by a series of terrible <laughs> events. Um, there was a pretty good Politico article about it. Um, but I don't know. Also, there's something about, you know, hurricane season. <laughs> hmm. So basically, Matt, you're telling us that God hates political conventions. I think our experience this year uh, in general between like the, the Kansas City YDA meeting and the DNC and whatever shenanigans they're trying to do on the elephant side of things uh, should really prove that. I just wanted some cheese curds. So. And I wanted to give them to you, Hannah. I wanted to give I you... I mean, you still can. I'll send you my address. <laughs> it's not the same if they're not fresh. Wisconsin curds are a thing to behold. I will say some of the best, and I was going to try to get a bunch for the Kansas City meeting, come from a little town in Kansas called Alma. And I will, we, we can have like a contest of this at some point. I'm, I'm down for that. All right, let's, let's do it. Who has the best, who has the best fried oh. cheese curds? Oh. All right, I'm the, I'll be the judge. Absolutely. I, 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 I think there are going to be more than one judge needed. Well, for this. I assumed. Yeah. I'm calling one spot now. All right, perfect. I like what we've started here. Yes. So hopefully we we'll all be able to get together uh, sometime in 2021 in Kansas City, and yeah. Charles can drive down the cheese curds for this competition. Not the same if they're not fresh. If you drive really fast, they'll still be fresh, Charles. Cooler, man. Come on. <laughs> it's just not the same. It'll be close enough. It's yeah, what my you have to hear them squeak when they're fresh. They make, like, they make like a squeaky noise when they're fresh and they just don't yeah. like it. I mean, it still mm -hmm. kind of does. Drive faster. Look, man, some of us just really love cheese. Yeah. Um, and even if it's not like just fresh out of the dairy, we can make it work. As uh, someone who is not a cheese fan, I feel personally attacked right now. See, all of you just... Have like horrible regrets because my my favorite cheese producer in Wisconsin was going to be releasing their uh, I, I forget whether it's a twenty or thirty year cheddar and they only do it every couple of years and um, that was supposed to happen in like May or June and coronavirus completely knocked that out of my brain. And I forgot to buy some, so now I just have horrible regrets. What, Hannah? It's way too late. Almost certainly. It's I mean, last, 
last time it was all gone within two weeks in spite of the ridiculous amount of money they were charging. The coronavirus has gone too far. It has. It ruined KCK and it ruined my cheese. We will ruin the rest of your day. So we ended with a positive note. So uh, I think it's a good time to wrap up. I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks everyone for uh, being on today. We have had Charles Myers, Ian Dunn, Scott Urbanowski, Zach Sartag, um, Matt Hughes, and uh, Hannah Robleski. And TJ um, Luca. TJ. I said, I said TJ. You did not. I did. I said TJ. Okay, then Brawley broke out. I know I said it. Whatever. Uh, because I also have... I, I My internet sometimes goes in and out because I'm also on a barrier. I think you just forgot about TJ. We're sorry. I could never forget. I could never forget about TJ. I, I don't know what I did to deserve that, but thanks, Seamus. We try to put on some Kimmel- show. <laughs> Kimmel and Cohen's Cookie Quarantine is a production of Dogback. Uh, all rights served, I guess. You know, uh, oh. you know, whatever. Any other legal stuff we're supposed to say, Ben? Um, pretty much that. We are not official. This is not an official endorsement of anyone, anything, or any kind of cheese. But we should totally endorse cheese. In in general, yes. It's just that we're not playing favorites with which kind. This yeah, but we will on a future episode. It does have the best jokes, so. Our theme music is produced by Alexander Nakamrata. I've been Seamus Gamble. I've been Ben Cohen. And thanks, everyone. Stay safe.